Well, we're going to take a little break this morning from our journey through the life of Joseph that we started a few weeks ago and pause and honor mothers and speak to the issue of motherhood from Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. And why why would we do something like this? Well, three quick reasons. The Bible tells us that when we honor moms, we honor the God who told us to honor our moms. Exodus chapter 20, in the Ten Commandments, this has already been referenced, we're told to honor our father and our mother. And then Ephesians 6, Paul says, children, you are to obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And this is the first commandment with a promise. Honor your father and mother, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And Romans 12 teaches us to give honor to whom honor is due. So it's very appropriate to honor God through honoring the moms he told us to honor. Second, when we honor moms, we actually witness to the world that God uses women powerfully in his plan and that they have a key, important, pivotal, vital role in the redemptive plan of God, which is a word that needs to be said. In fact, as we, even as we considered last week with Genesis chapter 38, we see a woman named Tamar and her pivotal role in the redemptive plan of God plan of God is she brought forth twins, one of them being Perez, who is in the line of the Lord Jesus Christ. Third and finally, when we honor moms, we give encouragement to our sisters in Christ. Over and over again in, in Scripture, we're encouraged to give encouragement to one another, but specifically in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, Paul tells us that the former things were written down so that we might have endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So that's the goal of this sermon this morning as we consider motherhood through the lens of Mary. Now, I'm not going to talk a whole lot this morning about the joys associated with motherhood. I mean, that could be its own sermon, and no doubt there are a litany that could be listed. I mean, what kinds of joys could we unpack, moms, that you all experience as a result of being moms? The fact that you get image bearers of God entrusted to you and are born into the world through you. And you have the opportunity to nurture them and influence them and experience joy in their joys and sorrow in their sorrows and watch them grow up and leave the home and start families of their own. I mean, there are so many joys that we could unpack. But at the same time, I think it's important, especially in the light of the recent sermons that we've been considering where we talked about the difficulties associated with in the life of Elijah and Jeremiah. And even as we've been walking through the opening chapters of the life of Joseph, and seeing some of the troubles and difficulties he faced there, I think it's just important to stop and pause and recognize that the reality that motherhood's hard. Being a mom's hard. It's not for the faint of heart. In fact, it carries with it great blessings, and it also carries with it great trials. In fact, we see in the very text that Ethan read for us that motherhood is a favored position, especially this particular mother, and this particular favor, the, the opportunity to give birth to the Savior of the world. Mary was favored, but also she was greatly troubled. You see that in Luke chapter 1, if you'll look there with me. Look at verse 28 and verse 29. And the angels came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. 29, but she was greatly troubled at the saying. And in a sense, that can encapsulate Mary's whole life. She was greatly favored, having been chosen by God the Father, 
to receive through the God the Holy Spirit the incarnation of God the Son. And that was an immense act of God's favor and kindness, never to be duplicated, unique in all of human history. However, it was a troubled call. It was a call that brought much anxiety and distress into her heart. Being divinely favored, Mary would tell you, doesn't mean you'll be exempt from heartache. But God is with you, and his favor is upon you. So, as the angel told Mary in verse 30, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. And I think that general principle can be applied to, to motherhood in general, that motherhood is a, is a blessed condition, it's, but it's also a condition that's met with heartache and difficulty. But, especially for his people, God is with you, moms. If you if you're belong to him, he's with you. You don't need to be afraid. His favor is upon you in the gospel. And the favor Mary received was amazing, even though it was incredibly difficult. So this morning, I want us to look at the theme of motherhood through the lens of Mary's life. And I want to start by looking at some of the challenges that accompany that call to her. I want to talk about eight of them. We're going to look at eight particular challenges that Mary had in this call to be the mother of the Messiah. First challenge. Mary embraced a tainted reputation. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the call to suffering for Mary began long before she actually gave birth to the Lord Jesus. In fact, it began when she received the announcement. If you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, we get another account of what was going on in those days when the angel came to Mary. And I want us to read verse, beginning at chap, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, and think about the tainted reputation that Mary had to embrace in order to fulfill the call of God upon her life. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Stop there. There's a tainted reputation. She's pregnant and not married. Now, in our culture today, that's not a big deal. It happens all the time. But in this culture, in this way, this was a scandal. Look at verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, because she could have been put to shame as a result of that, in fact, in some cases killed, resolved to divorce her quietly. Verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Verse 23, Behold, the angel shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Think about it. Mary lived in a small town called Nazareth, and one of the advantages, but also disadvantages of living in a small town, as many of us know, is that everybody seems to know everyone. And there is no way Mary would be able to successfully cover up this pregnancy. 
people could count back from nine months during her betrothal to Joseph and discern that she was already a little further along than she was supposed to be. And as you know, people do have a way of talking. So Mary had to embrace a tainted reputation from the very beginning. This is not the way a noble woman of Israel begins a family. Number two, second challenge, Mary endured a complicated childbirth. Some of you know what it it means, especially you moms, know what it means to go through a complicated childbirth, but I would argue that no one here has experienced quite the complications that Mary experienced. Let's look at Luke chapter 2 again and the first few verses. Luke chapter 2 and verses 1 through 7. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius the governor of Sy- was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So Caesar declares a census. We're familiar with the story, especially at Christmas time. And they have to go pay their taxes. So they trudge off to Bethlehem. And when they arrive, Mary discovers that Joseph has failed to get on Expedia and secure the reservation like he's supposed to. So there was no booking.com or Expedia.com to be found. So they had to do with what they had to do with and go sleep in the stable. And that's where her water broke, and that's where she gave birth to her firstborn son. And none of this was easy. None of this was easy. You can put yourself there, right? You can imagine the conditions. You know the story well. But don't let the familiarity of the story cause you to not appreciate the complications that associated with childbirth. There was no hospital, no midwife, no comforts, no ibuprofen, which I know we need a lot stronger than ibuprofen, but nothing even of that that small dosage. No, she had to face a night sky, a stable, a husband, lots of fear, lots of political unrest, and give birth to her firstborn son as a teenager, most likely, in a stable. This is why I like Andrew Peterson's song, Labor of Love. Some of you might know this song. It's part of the Behold the Lamb of God sermon or uh, album, which where, where Andrew, songwriter, marches through the story of Jesus. And he has a song in there called Labor of Love, which is written in light of Mary's condition right now. And I want to read you the lyrics to that song. Andrew writes, it was not a silent night. There was blood on the ground. You could hear a woman cry in the alleyways that night on the streets of Davidstown. And the stable was not clean, and the cobblestones were cold. And little Mary, full of grace, with tears upon her face, had no mother's hand to hold. It was a labor of pain. It was a cold sky above. But for the girl on the ground in the dark, with every beat of her beautiful heart, it was a labor of love. Noble Joseph at her side, calloused hands and weary eyes. There were no midwives to be found in the streets of Davidstown in the middle of the night. So he held her and he prayed, 
shafts of moonlight on her face, but the baby in her womb, he was the maker of the moon. He was the author of the face that could make the mountains move. It was a labor of pain. It was a cold sky above. But for the girl on the ground in the dark, with every beat of her beautiful heart, it was a labor of love. For little Mary, full of grace, with tears upon her face, it was a labor of love. That's exactly what it was. She endured a complicated, difficult childbirth. Number three, third challenge. Mary took part in a bittersweet baby dedication. We read some of it in Luke chapter 2. I want you to look there again. Mary goes to present the baby Jesus at the temple, which is very customary for the newborn. Simeon is there, lays his hands upon the baby, confesses, this is my eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord, and now let your servant depart in peace. But then he pronounces this benediction upon the baby and upon the family. You see that in verse 33? And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him, which is what Simeon just pronounced as he pronounced the blessing. And then verse 34, and Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Is that the ideal baby dedication? Okay, I've got a word for you, Mary, Simeon says, this old, godly, wise man. This son of yours is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And a sword is going to pierce through your own soul also. Think about this. She just has endured throughout her pregnancy a very tainted reputation, carried that into a very complicated childbirth, which results in a few weeks later, Mary and Joseph going off to the temple to dedicate their baby, and they don't have much to offer. They offer a pair of baby pigeons, which was the offering of the poor. And Simeon takes the baby into his arms, blesses him, and turns to Mary and says to her that her precious baby boy is going to be divide the heart of the nation. Some people would love him and other people would hate him. And all of this would no doubt drive a knife in Mary's heart. No mother wants her son to be hated. But that's exactly what Mary was embracing, even as she took part in that bittersweet baby dedication. Number four, fourth challenge. Mary faced a threat on her newborn's life. Imagine that, Mom. Can you imagine a threat on your newborn's life? Look at Matthew again, chapter 2. Familiar with the story, Herod is out for blood especially since he's gotten wind of a, a new king in town. And the following verses we read that Matthew records for us, Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 through 15. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. So when Herod learns that there's talk of a new Jewish king on the scene, he flies into a rage and he begins to plot to kill Mary's newborn baby boy. And now they have to flee all the way to Egypt. Think about this. 
as they do so, as they have to leave and go to Egypt, they are becoming even poorer, more open to victimization, homeless refugees and undocumented immigrants in a foreign land. That's what they're doing as they face down this threat to take the life of their newborn child. So we've seen a tainted reputation. We've seen a complicated childbirth. We've seen a bittersweet baby dedication. We've seen threat on a newborn's life, and we're only halfway done. Fifth challenge, Mary dealt with a missing preteen. Let's fast forward about 12 years, and we get the next account of our Lord Jesus' life. When we hear of them going to Jerusalem and losing their, their boy. While it's clear that Jesus was a good boy who obeyed his parents, Luke tells that in Luke 2.51, his older boyhood years were, would not have been easy on Mary. As he was growing up, Jesus' identity as the Son of God, which Mary knew as well. Mary, did you know that your baby? Yes, she knew. She knew. Simeon told her. We don't have to guess about that or sing the song acting like she didn't know. She knew. But as Jesus grew up and more and more stepped into his identity as the Son of God and his calling to be the Savior of the world, that put a unique strain on his family relationships. When Jesus was 12 and his family took part in Passover in the crowded city of Jerusalem, there was a bit of a mix-up. Let's read what that mix-up exactly was in Luke 2, verse 43 and 45. And when the feast was ended and they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. Now, it's not hard to understand how this might have happened. For reasons of safety, families, especially on the way to Passover, they often traveled in large caravans with mothers typically going on ahead with younger children and fathers coming along afterward. But perhaps since Jesus is 12, Mary thought, as a close-to-being bar mitzvah Jewish boy would be, that he's probably with his father. But maybe Joseph thought he was with Mary since he was not yet a man. So it's not hard to understand how this might have happened, but by the time they stopped for the night, Jesus was missing. Mary must have been going nuts. Think about it. I mean, that's, that's the, one of the scariest things you can experience, moms. You lose your kid? <laughs> your 12-year-old? Who, who doesn't know his way around, who's not savvy to the to the ways of finding his parents, and it's no cell phones. Can't just walk up and give the number to the local rabbi. Say, hey, would you text my mom and tell her I'm with you? None of that. Almost nothing is more frightening than this, than for a mother to lose a child. And think about this. Look at, do you see verse 26? We didn't read it yet, but look at verse 26. After three days... They found him in the temple. Three days. This is not three minutes, like when we freak out in the grocery store. Where, 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 where are they? Oh, they're right there. This is three days. 
and then they find him. So think about that. And when they found him, she's relieved, but notice what she says in verse 48. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? She's scolding him. Do you have no love for us? Do you not know that we've been trying to find you? Did it never occur to you at any moment that, hey, my parents are probably wondering where I am? That's what any mother would ask. And how Jesus responded must have been a, a little bit of a dagger in Mary's heart. Notice what he says, verse 49, and he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Any mother realizes how painful it is when your son is growing up and he no longer treats you like mommy is my everything. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Mommy's not his everything anymore. And that, that hurts a mom. That's a, that's a painful transition that many of you older moms know what it's like to walk through. It's a necessary transition, but it still hurts. So that's the fifth challenge she had to face. Not only a missing preteen, but when he's found, a preteen that's a little bit more mature and not the mama's boy that she thought maybe he would be. Sixth challenge. Mary released her son to an awkward career path. So he's grown up now. He's been with his father working in the construction industry doing carpentry with Joseph, and now he's going to leave the family business to take up that call that every mom dreams of, traveling preacher. Quitting a steady job to chase that dream. No doubt her security glands were sweating over how her son would survive while he goes out to live the dream. Now, Mary does get on board. She knew this is coming. She's not surprised by it. She's prepared all along the way. But what what does a mom do when she finds out that, you know, I'm not going to be able to stop the call of God here. There's no way that's going to happen. So so what am I supposed to do? Well, you you try to support him. So look at John chapter 2. John 2, on the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples, and when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now, mothers are like that, right? They always have suggestions as to what their children should do. And... They're trying to be involved. She wants to be involved and do the thing with Jesus and be there with him. And But eventually she has to you know, release him to this call and he's going to step away from the family and he's going to move into full-time ministry and begin preaching and traveling and healing and teaching and engaging Satan on the front lines. And in so doing, she meets her seventh challenge. Mary watched her son divide the family and divide the town. 
just like Simeon prophesied. It was coming to reality. So let's look at a few of these examples. We're going to look at four texts. Matthew chapter 12 first. Matthew 12, and look at the effects that Jesus begins to have as he goes and exercises his ministry. Matthew chapter 12, verse 46. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So why do you think in verse 46 his mother and his brothers are standing outside wanting to talk to him? It's because of the things that are happening all around him. The fact that he is beginning, and we see it in Matthew 12, we see it in Matthew 11, all throughout the Gospel of Matthew, he is, he is dividing everywhere he goes. He's dividing families, he's breaking up families, he's calling disciples to himself, he's saying these, he's prioritizing God's mission over even his own biological family, and even he says things like, your mother and your brothers want to come see you, and he says, wait, I'm with them. Well, no, we mean biological. It's like, yeah, but that's not primary. Spiritual's primary. God's mission is primary. We also see it in Matthew 13, just look over Matthew chapter 13, verses 53 to 58. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where does this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is he not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and are not his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet's not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. His family does not like what he's doing. Get, be clear on that. He is dividing his family. And he's dividing the town. And small town family-oriented communities don't like people like this. They mess up their idols. Don't mess up my comfortable community and don't mess up my comfortable family. Don't do that. I don't care what God says. This is most precious to me. And he's perfectly willing to dismantle those idols. We see it again in Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he's out of his mind. He's crazy. We got a crazy brother in the house. We can tolerate the crazy uncle, but not the crazy brother. And then one final text, Luke chapter 4, verse 28 to 30. Luke chapter 4, 28 to 30. When they heard these things... All in the synagogues were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the, the, bro, the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. So Jesus is stirring up, stirring things up everywhere he goes. 
and Mary had to watch her son do this. Watch her son's life threatened. Watch her son behave in, in many ways to her family as a crazy person. And she had to accept that challenge because she knew, she knew, no doubt Simeon's words rung in her ears in these days. He's set for the rising and falling of many in Israel. A sword's going to pierce your own soul also. And then that sword eventually gets thrust all the way in and all the way through as she has to embrace her eighth and final challenge, which is to witness her son be tortured, crucified, and killed. Let's look at John chapter 19. John 19. John 19, verses 25 through 27. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. I mean, there's no greater challenge than that. She's, she's had to face a tainted reputation, a complicated childbirth, a bittersweet baby dedication, a threat on her newborn's life. She had to watch as her son went missing, began to divide the town and the family, eventually to watch him be crucified and killed, releasing him to this awkward call that God had made. But no doubt, she knew. I ask you a question. Has any mother ever suffered more than this woman? It'd be hard to find another one. It'd be hard to find one who was more favored and yet who was more greatly troubled. The, the fulfillment was true. How was she able to bear up under these sorrows? How was she able to endure in the midst of all of these challenges? Point number two, comforts, the comforts. I want to talk about three, these are, not, these are not exclusive, these are not the only things, but these are no doubt three comforts that Mary received throughout her life that enabled her to endure this difficult call of motherhood of the Messiah. Number one, and I would argue that these comforts are available to all of us. Moms, they're available to you as well. They're, in some sense, they're unique to Mary in the way they work themselves out in application, but certainly they're true for us as well. Number one, the power of the Spirit. The power of the Spirit. Remember when Mary was told by the angel at the beginning of this mission that the power of the Holy Spirit would overshadow her and nothing would be impossible with God? No doubt that's immediately referring to the, the, the fact that she was, that she was going to be con con she was gonna conceive by the Holy Spirit. That was how she was going to have, give birth to the God-man the one who was truly God and truly man, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit had to overshadow her. But it's with that knowledge that the Holy Spirit was going to overshadow her and that nothing was going to be impossible with God that she was able to say in Luke 138, let it be done to me according to your word. I'm, your serv I'm the Lord's servant. As a woman of faith, Mary surrendered her life to God's plan. She didn't press 
to know all the details or try to negotiate with the angel to get a better deal. She didn't put any conditions on her obedience. She simply said, whatever God wants, that's what I want. And moms, that's exactly where you need to be. No matter what, this is not your call. Praise the Lord. We're not called to give birth again to the Christ. But nevertheless, in your challenges, in your trials, in your difficulties that you face as a mom, ought you not to surrender your life completely to God and say whatever the Lord wants is what I want? Not pressing him to give a rubber stamp to your great plan for your life, but rather submitting your life to him? Not negotiating for a better deal, but rather signing off on the one he sends you? Not putting any conditions on your obedience? Knowing that nothing is impossible with God and the same Holy Spirit that empowered Mary is the same Holy Spirit that dwells within you as your comforter and as the one who empowers you for life and ministry. So simply say, like our sister Mary did, whatever God wants, I want. Number two, the second comfort she received, not only from the Spirit, but also persuasion from the Scriptures. She was a woman who was deeply rooted in the truthfulness of God's Word and her confidence in God's worthiness to be trusted. Let's read that. Luke chapter 1, we see Mary pronounce this amazing testimony to the truthfulness of scripture luke chapter 1 verse 46 to 55 and mary said my soul magnifies the lord and my spirit rejoices in god my savior for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant for behold from now on all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me And holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers and to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Where's Mary getting all that? She's getting that from the Bible. Those are truths and promises that she would have gathered from her reading of the Old Testament and the teaching she had received. She's basically quoting God's word and who God is and his trustworthiness, even in the midst of things she doesn't understand. And moms, this is as true for you as well. Your ultimate confidence and hope cannot be in anything but God's trustworthy record in his own word. And his promises can be relied upon. And he can be trusted. And he will fulfill what he has said. Mary knows that in all of her troubles, God is with her. When the angel's announcement comes and brings fear, God's word reassures her. When Herod's soldiers are in hot hot pursuit, she is looking to the Lord as her protector. When Mary thought her son was lost, No doubt she's praying and calling out to God, and he was found. And when Jesus died on the cross, no doubt her broken, soul-pierced heart was nonetheless looking forward to the resurrection, which she had no doubt heard from his lips. So it was the power of the Spirit that brought her comfort, but it was also persuasion from the Scriptures of God's trustworthiness and her deep confidence in the worthiness of God to be trusted 
even when he can't be understood. And finally, number three, prayer with the saints. Prayer with the saints. The last glimpse we catch of Mary, she's in the midst of a prayer meeting. I want you to see this. Look at Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. This is the last glimpse we receive. Acts chapter 1, verse 13. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mother Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. They're there post-resurrection, having seen and known the Savior who had come. And she's there in the midst, worshiping God with the disciples because she's in, she herself is now a disciple of her own son and the Lord of all. And it appears to be his brothers as well. So there she is, worshiping the God she served her entire life, some 33 years after that original announcement. And no doubt she's gathering strength from prayer with God's people. And it will be the same for you, sisters. The power of the Spirit, the persuasion from the Scriptures, prayers with the saints is what equips you for motherhood. No different. So be reliant and dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Pray to be filled with the Spirit in an ongoing way to strengthen, for God to strengthen and enable you to fulfill your calling. Root yourself in the Bible and believe every single word of it is came, coming from the mouth of God and He will never let you down and He will never be unfaithful to His word and He will never deny His promises. And then pray, pray, pray with God's people and give yourself to it. And such you will derive comfort as well in your calling as a mom. Thirdly and finally, consequence. What was the outcome of all of this? Outcome of all of her challenges, outcome of all of her comfort. We have a Savior. That's the outcome. The outcome is Matthew one twenty one. Mary, I want you to call him Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. The sword that ultimately pierced Mary's soul, the crucifixion of her son, was ultimately for a great redemptive end, right? Jesus had his own soul pierced on the cross as he bore the just punishment for our sins, the sins of all those who would ever believe in him. He was crushed under the weight of his father's wrath for our sin. His soul was pierced. But do you know why that happened? So that our souls could be pierced. But with a redemptive outcome, that we would be convicted profoundly of our sin, that we would be, that we would be like in the language of Acts 2, cut to the heart at the knowledge of what Jesus had to endure for us. So that through Christ's suffering, I'm not talking about Mary's suffering, just to make a theological point here. Mary was no co-redemptrix. She was not suffering redemptively. It was Jesus who was suffering redemptively. But nevertheless, she was suffering. And she was paying the price for God's call. And she was having to give up her son 
for the salvation of the world, but she gave him up. And she relinquished her will to God's will. And as a result, we're here. We're here. Many of us saved from our sins, delivered from the condemnation our sins deserve. And if you haven't been, I invite you to be. This is the reason the Son of God came into the world. This is the reason all of this happened was so that at the end of it, we would have a resurrected Savior who had completely lived in perfect obedience to God's law where we have failed to live, died under the penalty of God's law for all the rule-breaking and sinning and, and that, we've, that we've committed so that as a result of that, He could give us His perfect life of righteousness through faith alone. And so that as a result, Jesus would take our sin as His own as well. That's the gospel. And that's the reason that Mary did what she did. And we can praise God that through those challenges and through that comfort that God gave her, a glorious and eternal consequence arose. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for what you have done in bringing your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the world that we might live through him. Thank you for the opportunity to reflect upon one of your choice servants, our sister Mary, whom you sent and raised up for this purpose. You called her, you, gave birth, you brought her into the world and caused her to be born and, and, and chose her as the unique vessel through which our Savior would come, as the fulfillment of countless years of waiting and longing. And so we thank you, God, for what you've done in us through the work of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And for those of us who are here this morning who are yet outside of Jesus and are not presently walking with him or clinging to him for our exclusive hope of salvation, we pray that that might happen this morning, even now, as we've contemplated all that he endured for our sake and for our salvation. And we pray all this in his name and for your glory. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.